How do you bring MedTech to market? My name is Karen Brown and I'm your host. On MedTechRx, you'll hear from the experts, people who have worked for us, people we've worked with, and the people we see advancing MedTech innovation. I don't have to tell you this is a complex industry. I know because I've lived it. After receiving my PharmD and working on clinical trials in academia, pharma, and a global med device CRO, I'm building my own firm. Tune in and enjoy. Don Fallon is an award-winning public relations professional with over 25 years of experience leading a variety of integrated campaigns and educational awareness programs for medical device, biotech, and pharma companies. After nearly 30 years with PR firms supporting clients including J&J, Medtronic, Pfizer, and CVS, she's launching her own firm, New Dawn Communications. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me today. You bet. I'm excited to have you here. We've been connected for a few years now, and you were one of the first people who came to mind when we started MedTechRx. And I'm really excited that we get to talk about you launching your own PR firm. When we met in 2019 or 2020, I think you were at Mikovsky. I was another agency, another agency actually before then, but I knew someone else that you knew for years. For years and years and years. It's a fun industry to just be able to connect and build your network and really just become close connections with new people who are, who have such various expertise. Definitely. It's all about networking and making those right connections and, and finding those right, what makes sense with chemistry too. I was telling someone the other day about chemistry and how that makes it so much easier when you network versus you network and it's like a cold conversation and you like, you move on, right? I was just attending a Women in Bio event yesterday in New York City and just the chemistry, the, the people that were there, the energy just made it such a successful event. Not just because it was packed, but also because the, the value of the people that were there were, it was tremendous to hear from different sectors of healthcare and the med device, biotech and in the pharma side. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find it easier to connect in those types of events that are a little bit more themed around in this one in particular women in biotech? I think so, because the barriers are a little bit, they're down, you're all female there, and you're there for a common good, right? The the, the best for the patient, because that's always the end goal, right? Is everything that we bring from the product to launch is all about the patient. And so being along that, that's like the commonality you have, regardless of the industry, whether it's healthcare PR or investor relations, right? Or an accountant or a medical communications agency, or just the biotechs and the med device companies, CEOs and founders there, together you share that common goal, right? And that was, was really a beauty to see that. And the goal of there for that event too, we were also attracting some members too, like newly PhDs that were entering the field of a biotech. One person I was talking to, She's like, my biotech is closing. We just got acquired. And what do I do now? Do I give up my PhD? I was like, no, you just started. Go to the <laughs> next one. You went into this field for a reason. And she goes, you just saved me. I said, well, that's you're doing a great cause. And so we need scientists like you. And so I think I talked her off the ledge of not being a scientist and going back into industry. But she was like, I'm going to go get my MBA. I'm like, that, but you always want to think, give it a shot. She only did it once. You, one biotech company got acquired. And that's it, right? And they're going to shut down because the other company is acquiring them, right? So they're laying people off. So hopefully, she took it, she's taking my advice and she's not going to get her MBA, not yet. And she continues to go back to industry to, to innovate, right? Which is key and critical for 
healthcare and innovation. Isn't that a funny thing we do as like doctorate level women? <laughs> We're like, we need more training. Let me go get an MBA. And I, I've worked with people too that entered my realm, right? They were One of them was a former anesthesiologist and she was burnt out. And after two years working in our industry, she was super smart and great. But she's like, Dawn, I want to give back to the patients. I miss it. And I said to her, go back. And she now went back to become a doctor again. So I wasn't trying to get her out of her field. <laughs> I was just trying to say, there's something lacking in your direction of where you are right now. And you do like healthcare communications, but you don't love it. And with anything, as you know, Karen, loving something is so much easier. It doesn't seem like work at all. And regardless of an industry, it's across every industry. The passion you bring is that much more rewarding than if you just like the job. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that saying of do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I do think it's a little bit misleading (laughs) because work can be, and work is good and there's nothing harmful with work. But yeah, when you're working towards something that you want to build Mm -hmm. and you want to create, or you want to push something out into the world, or you want to really care and nurture for and treat and diagnose patients, there's just passion. There's excitement for it inside you that makes it feel like it's work worth doing. Exactly. And in our industry, especially in healthcare, that's why we got into it, I think. I always joke, you have the background, but for me, I don't have the PhD or MD, but I have to be just as strong in the understanding of the science to be able to build that story for clients, you know, in different categories of healthcare. And the beauty of it, it's a certain categories I do love, right? Neurology, I love. Orthopedics is great. Cardiology, oncology, all those different categories, I do have that passion for it. And then it, like you said, it makes it that much easier to understand and digest. And then it doesn't seem much like work anymore, really, because you're building that greater cause to build in that story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's go back to that. So you graduated from Monmouth University in yeah. New Jersey, and you got your degree in communications, public relations. Mm-hmm. What drove you to, to join that industry? right off the bat. I don't meet a ton of people. I'll preface my question with with a degree like myself is a great example. I'm a pharmacist, but I'm not standing mm-hmm. behind the counter at Walgreens. No, that's okay. No, what happened was there when I was in high school, actually, I was part of the newspaper. I forgot it was the Husky. I forgot what the name of the paper was, but I wrote for my newspaper and was involved with that. And then journalism kind of gravitates to PR. And so what happened was when I had to, I actually didn't know yet until junior year in college what I wanted to do. So I went through anthropology with the sociology. I went through public relations and then communications and I'm like, and then journalism too. And so I had a professor there who was a professor of journalism and he said, the beauty of PR is you have to learn how to write. So if you go into journalism or you start writing, that's a fundamental for anything as a communicator. And so I then there, I became the news editor, I think junior or senior year in college. And that was kind of the auspice of having journalism and PR hand in hand, because the concentration is PR and journalism. And then the major was communications. That gave me the foundation to go there. And back in the day, when I was a kid, I actually had two paper roots. So I delivered paper. So <laughs> almost went back to my roots a little bit. So it's always been one of them that the passions for me is telling that story, finding the story and hitting those key audiences that continues to evolve with any company in healthcare and any company that's out there that has a story to tell. Yeah, I love it. And you transitioned to life sciences, pharma, med tech pretty quickly after graduating. Is that right? 
a little bit, yeah, shortly after. So I worked in a, a, different agencies, right? And I think the glitter of New York City. So I worked for an agency that did nonprofit PR. So I did have some legs into the sciences. So the New York Hall of Science, one of my clients that I worked with. Then also we did a fresh air fund, police athletically, but do have that little bit of telling their story as a science center in New York City and Queens. It was pretty amazing. And then I did some travel and tourism and food and wine PR. And then I worked at an agency that I was able to kind of work on everything. And then what started happening in that agency, all the healthcare accounts started coming my way. And I had an interest in the sciences already just because I just, again, just was interested in, in, in as a, and then healthcare became something that I really gravitated for because it's all around us, right? Everywhere we go. And so I had a chance to work with Pfizer, CVS, Horizon Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and some other healthcare enterprises there. And then got into medical devices and then really pharma and biotech shortly after, working with major brands like Medtronic, J&J, to GSK, to Merck. And that was gave me the foundation really to be able to tell stories for startups because they want to either get acquired or be there one day, right? So to understand that story of the big giant players and building their story, their campaigns and programs, that was beneficial to understand what you need to get there. And when you get there, how do you do it? And so now I work with clients from all different spectrums, but for the earliest days to clinical to commercial, I'm able to help them build their storyline where it makes sense versus, oh, you got to do everything because you don't have to do everything. You just don't. And resources are sometimes tight for the marketing PR teams in the client side. And so you want to be smart and selective, but also drive what you can in terms of getting the, the best impact for them at that moment. And I'm going to skip to the end of the story for everyone, but we're going to dive in a little bit to the details afterwards. Now you're starting your own firm, New Dawn Communications. Yes, that's correct. So I was actually part of a layoff of my one of my agencies. And after doing public relations for and communications for over 20 years. I said, I've been working 60, 70 hours a week for other people. It's time to for me to think about doing this enterprise. So I talked to my husband. He's like, you really want to do it and never look back. And it's one of those things, being an entrepreneur is scary, but you have that foundation. So really when that happened, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs throughout my journey, at least I want to say 30 of them different stages. Some of them had multiple people we know, some of them had multiple companies and were successful. And when you're putting faith in yourself and it's yourself driving it, you can't bet on yourself, but anyone, I mean, self, but yourself. Right. And so I feel like that was something that I'm like, I know I'm going to do a great job because I'm passionate. I've always been passionate everywhere I went and the passion follows me wherever I go. And so that's to me is critical for any entrepreneur and someone who's starting up in any business is that you bring your A game that you always brought. And if you didn't have your A-game to begin with, figure out how to get there, right? To do so. Yeah, no, I love that part. Because sometimes you just, you aren't good enough yet. And that's okay, because you own the business. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and not everything is going to be that A++ you want to get. Sometimes it'll have to be that B. But if it's a C, then you got to understand why it's a C. And I tell folks all the time, you try to reach that level, because would you put that product in front of your client? If you were, then that's fine. But if you're not, then it's not ready to see the client's eyes at all. And as a professional, you want to give the best product to the client because they also have people they have to report to as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess I hear your story and I've been connected with you for so long that I, I wonder what kept you from going out on your own before. I think, and I've been following a lot of different leaders, it's a, the unknown. 
It's really mm -hmm. the unknown. When you don't know what you don't know, you're scared. It could be anything. It's like if you want to go skydiving or if you wanted to go water skiing, it's the unknown. And so you talk to experts who've done it or people who are newly who just started a year ago. So I think that the tour, that, that uh, listening tour, which I tell clients too, when you're doing your story, you do your listening tour to understand what is that story of yours. The listening tour helped me, you know, asking people like what worked, what didn't, what could you have done better? And one, one folk, I, he just started his business about a year and a half ago. And I said, what advice could you give me out of all the things that you think about as an entrepreneur? And he's like, keep planting the seeds, Dawn. Some will grow, some won't. And the ones that grow, you keep watering them. Others that don't, they may never grow. And that's fine. And that's the one thing I think is the hardest thing is like accepting that not everything will grow in your business. And that's okay. And the things that grow, you put your love and passion into it. And that's going to make it grow even further. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into to why you stayed in biotech and what you saw about that industry that resonated with you. Why were you able to have chemistry with those people who are working in pharma, biotech, medical device? Why have you spent over 20 years? Absolutely. I, I think it's all about the patient, right? So the goal is always to end the patient and the caregiver and being the patient myself and being a caregiver myself to see the value that innovation brings with industry, but also with the doctors, right? Because you can't do it without the doctors. And so that to me, I think has been critical in, in my journey is, is understanding the scientific platform and this medical advice. It just, no one ever saw the light of day and now it's getting FDA approved and now how it's good to treat patients and then getting it to be adopted, right? In the healthcare community, which is even harder, right? You hear all the time, like, how do I get it adopted? What do I need to do? How do I influence so-and-so? And I tell folks all the time, you need to have those with key opinion leaders, right? Those HCPs in those areas to be those champions. You could say your product or drug is better than anything else out there. But if your medical community is not, it's really hard to, to move forward as much as you want to. And once you get the credibility from the HCPs and the medical society groups, then it's easier for patient adoption and caregivers and anyone else that you want to engage further, whether it's a partner, right? That a big enterprise that wants to acquire you one day. You got to build that storyline because it's critical to validate the science. Yeah, let's go through through the phases of building that storyline, particularly because in biotech, we have mergers and acquisitions and products can get killed or products can change. But really, the lifespan of a product can be 50 years. And so early on in product development, or even when you have basic science research and maybe a little preclinical work, how do you start that storyline at that point? Or where do those people focus their resources? So I think it depends. So if depending on where the platform is or devices and the development. So pharma and biotech is a little bit different than med device, right? In terms of the pathway, but especially in like the biotech and pharma world, right? It's one of those things that is a platform working? What indication is it working? Do I invest in that particular category? Are there platforms that can actually tell me that it's not going to succeed, which there are. There's AI now, right? AI is a huge thing. And, there, and AI is able to inform your strategy for clinical trials. Will it work or won't it work? And Pfizer and major companies are doing that. Even some biotech companies are doing that to evaluate. It's not going to work in indication because the science is showing it's not. So if folks are not, again, doing that story first and they just go into it, they're most likely may fail. And that's what happens we see all the time in the biotech 
word a lot, right? That they missed the bar. The, the study's not saying, the endpoints are not saying what it's supposed to do. And then they're trying to find a partner. And it's very difficult, I think, sometimes when the partner is like, well, you invested millions of dollars in this thing that's working, but the indication doesn't really matter because no one really needs it right now. And so again, it's figuring out the clinical need. Does it make sense to even do that? So it's almost like looking at the landscape you know, of what makes sense at the end goal, like working backwards, right? Because people, if they don't work backwards, then you can plan accordingly your story. If you start at the beginning, you just wing it, it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, we've seen that in the biotech industry and med device a little bit too, but not as much, I think, because it's a different type of standard. But definitely in the biotech world, there is those folks that 90% of biotechs fail. And there's reasons why, for various reasons, like funding and science doesn't work. They can't fill those clinical trials, right? They can't test it on people, right? Or there's such a small population that the data is saying it's so great, but you only test it in six people. I mean, you got to have the data. And that's the biggest thing I tell people with your story. If you don't have the data, how do you get the data out there? What do you need to get there? And if they don't have a story yet, that's okay. Then someone like me in PR communications, we may not be the right partner at that time. Maybe it's an investor relations person and team. Maybe it's a medical communications agency that does only the abstracts and manuscripts, whatever that have you, depending on what journey you're trying to achieve. Yeah. How do you differentiate yourself from a firm that only does investor communications or only does medical communications or publication and presentation strategy? It feels like PR can be broad, but maybe that's just my ignorance to it. No, you're absolutely right. So for me and my agency, it's, it's me and a team of consultants. If I can't be that specialist for that particular area, I bring in that specialist. So under my umbrella, I do have a medical communications partner that I will work with together, hand in hand with the client. If the client doesn't want me there, that's fine. It just makes sense for me to be there because I'm part of that story and helping to build that. But I bring the right partner for investor relations, the same thing. I know investor relations and I have partners too that I'll bring them in if someone's trying to raise funding, right, for to support a trial or they need investors or they want to partner with someone to acquire them. I give them those resources that I've been, I've through my network, right, been able to vet and said, this person I trust because of X, Y, and Z. So with PR communications, it's critical for us to solve whatever problem that client has at any given point, whether or not it impacts PR communications directly, it impacts the client period, right? And that's critical for any company that is trying to launch something eventually and get approval. That makes sense. So in some ways, or for some projects or clients, you might be kind of operating as a general contractor and yes. bringing yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Bring the right, right person. And I do that sometimes too, like someone's a branding expert. I know branding, but am I an expert in that? I'm not. So I would bring that branding expert to refine that story that will help inform the PR communication strategy. But I don't necessarily specialize in that. So if I'm not in that and my team's not in that swim lane, I will have consultants on my team that I have pre-vetted, either work with them before or come through a vetted network to, because it's my name too, when I make that referral, to make sure that client is getting that need and fill that need to address whatever problem they're trying to solve. That makes sense. Now, so we'll kind of dive into maybe the phases of biotech a little bit. Do you see pitfalls that are more common when a company is moving from preclinical to phase one or phase one to their phase two studies or phase two, three studies? From a PR standpoint, where 
do you see like the most failures or drop-offs where you think that you could have been engaged earlier and and maybe potentially salvaged it? I think it, it all comes back to the science. So if their medical team or whoever they're consulting with to given their affairs in order, if that's not in order and the publication strategy is not solid, that can impact so many different things. And building that trust among those key society groups, whatever discipline it is, is critical to, to get that pathway. So it's not like, hey, I got that product. I need you guys to use it. It's like planting the seed with anything, right? You're building relationships. So how are you building those relationships with those KOLs? How are you building those relationships with society groups? Yes, they know you why you're there, but it's making sure it's not a cold call that you're reaching out to them and helping them out too, because they need your resources too, right? So sometimes this funding is involved. If it's not funding, then are you signing up on a walk that they're doing for charity walk on Alzheimer's? I'm making that up. But these are the things that are important because it's about relationships because people know why you're knocking on the door. That's really important. And then in terms of like the actual basis of the clinical trials, that's a whole nother ball game. But the base is what if the you know, clinical trials, are you setting yours up for success in terms of how many clinical trials are you going to fill? Can you meet those endpoints? Because once you say that, especially if a public company, you're going to be held to it. You're saying I'm doing 15 clinical si- trial sites to whatever indication you're trying to go and you don't fill that. That's hard then you got to rewrite the strategy behind why did you only do you did 15 when you only did three. And so that's the thing I think that I've seen is that sometimes they can't fill those trials and they have to have a campaign around that and what could th- that could look like, right? There's a lot of, with now paid strategies, right? You got to think about how that's going to work and activate that, right? Do where you're targeting patients potentially on Facebook in a, in a way that's not intrusive, right? There's certain ways you can do like certain companies do that and you got to kind of be more educational than like, here, sign up for my drug. Or I was on the ferry the other day and there was a huge banner about the sleep study that says, take up the sleep study as a potential person who could sign up for the trial, right? So you got to get innovated in terms of how to, knowing that, hey, the sleep study impacts many people, maybe it makes sense to do old school ad on a, a ferry that so millions of people can see. You got to get innovated because there's a lot of people that are doing something similar potentially that you could be doing. How often are you seeing those types of companies having that issue go to recruitment firms? Are you seeing a lot of recruitment firms, patient recruitment firms expanding to support that? Yeah, that's a very good question. So some clients have mentioned that in the past. And when I worked with some of them, they would have issues and filling, especially during COVID, right? There was a lot of trials not being filled because people were not leaving. And so it's like, do you have a service? And I think I went to Bio International and they was one of the services there actually brings like they have physically have a van that brings the patient to and from to the trial and like a concierge service. So there are definitely ways of maybe that pharma or biotech company needs to engage in that because it's an elderly population. Right. So they were telling me like, that's what we do. We have that white glove service. So for clinical trials, we're there. We're, we're driving, physically picking up that patient with the caregiver and driving them because they don't have a car, what have you. But you got to be creative in solutions versus, oh, that trial has been open for you know a year and a half and no one's signing up on this. Okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And there's different ways to do it, right? There's also some of the society groups have on their websites, or you're listed on their website as versus just on the FDA. There's different ways to look at that to get your word out there about your trial. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you mentioned bio, and I've seen you going to different conferences and thought groups and doing a bunch of that. I know it's networking, it's a huge piece of it, but 
where do you see the benefit of making those trips and investing into your marketing strategy that way? I think it's a bunch of things. I think you get what you get in terms of going to these events. So Women in Bio, I've been a member for two years. And every time I go there, it's like, it's part of a family, right? Before I was like, oh, I'm really scared, right? And then now I'm going to hopefully join a committee very soon. Young Women in Bio. I have a 10 and a half year old. And I, th- I thought to me, they, they need some committee members potentially. So I'm going to hopefully gravitate to that one. But that was because of my two years invested in the organization, right? Going to their meetings, getting to know the people. The Healthcare Business Women Association, I've been members for a couple of years, but I never was really active because sometimes when you work for other people, it's harder to get that time for yourself to help build your brand. And that's so critical is building your brand, right? But also giving back. So now that I have my own agency, I'm able to spend more time in those activations I feel passionate about. So the Healthcare Business Women Association, I went up to upstate New York for a summer camp. I met some really amazing people. We traveled three hours each way. Folks from different pharmaceutical companies came in with me and we just bonded like you can never, I mean, we were stuck in the car for six hours and then another four hours putting these camp things together for underserved kids for this company called this hospital called the Floating Hospital, which is based in New York, that really helps underserved people with healthcare, right? And giving them that care. And so that was said so powerful. It was on a Sunday, which was difficult <laughs> the next day, but it was something when people had asked me about it, they're like, what was it? What was that about? It was amazing to see these teenagers come out of the bus, never been into the woods before. And like, let's look up, like it was, at landmark and they've never been in the woods before these are inner city kids from new york city that are in the city that never see i mean yes central park is there but it's not the same thing when to go into the woods and spend a week so to help that organization and that camp up there was really imp- impactful for me as an individual and they're going to do it every year so sign me up there was only six of us but we were a mighty six that did it and how long were you there we were there for only a day we were only there for a day so three hours each way we drove <laughs> and then like, I guess three hours actually setting up the camps and so forth. So nine hours, but that's a lot of time in a car, just back and forth for a day on a Sunday. But, and then hopefully one year, my daughter, when she's old enough, she can volunteer. So that's my goal is to show her how fortunate she is, right? For kids that don't have it as fortunate as she does. Do you see your daughter following in your footsteps? She said she wants to take over my company one day. So <laughs> we'll see. She definitely has shown the passion of healthcare and she definitely is around it. So it's really fun to see that. And she's getting the acronyms and the words sometimes like, where are you going? What meeting are you going to? <laughs> and so sometimes I get like the Chosky's and she's like, oh, what is this pharma company? <laughs> or the backpacks I get from different medical conferences. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. What do you think? There's probably many benefits to growing your firm in New York, right? New Jersey, New Jersey. But New York, New Jersey. I'm right in North Jersey, right across the river. Do you have plans to expand beyond the Northeast or across the globe? Or what is your go-to-market strategy? So for me, public relations could be anywhere, right? I work out remotely and I do a lot of networking in New York City and New Jersey, but it's everywhere. Like I was in DC last week for CNS. And so it depends on the situation. I, I don't think the location really matters because innovation in terms of innovation period can happen, yes, at the facility, but for PR communications, you can be all over the world. So I worked with clients in, in India, in in Asia. It doesn't really matter as long as they were good with the time zone. But 
it's one of the, it shouldn't really matter. I work with clients from all from the West Coast to East Coast to Middle America, and it doesn't really matter. So yes, my New Jersey, New York does. It's kind of nice to have that because you're in the the heart of the craziness sometimes, but it doesn't really matter where you are, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot too. I think one of my third or fourth clients under Clio was, was a German company and then quickly after an Italian company. And I was just like, this is crazy. From small town, Montana, it, it felt like a big thing. Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter as long as the, the quality of service, right? So I think working in the New York area and being part of the New Jersey area too, because I don't want to get slammed by New York versus New Jersey, but New Jersey, there's a lot of talented folks like myself and others and a lot of industries here, right? You got Merck, Novartis, and Sanofi, and a lot of different brands that are here right now in New Jersey for a reason. It's certainly located to Newark for drug delivery, but also there's a lot of great talent here too. So I do think that being in a New Jersey area in New York is something that I love. I'm a New Jersey girl by heart, and I, I just really pride myself of being from New Jersey. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way about Montana. <laughs> there you go. And I know Montana is right on the radar as well. So <laughs> it's an up and comer. Yes, I think. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of biotech companies and pharma every single second, I think throughout New Jersey. So bio New Jersey, I have not yet gotten involved yet, but I hope to be. Bio New Jersey is one of the major organizations here and innovations happening. You got Rutgers, you got lots of great institutions here that are bringing some innovative technologies and solutions to help the critical need. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so going back to launching your firm and just the work you've done over the last 30 years, do you tend to partner with companies for multi-year strategies or through the entire life cycle of a product? Where How do you typically get engaged with a firm when you first meet? So I think it depends. I mean, a lot of, I think my structure is through referrals, right? So it's your business working with folks at the bigger companies before, and now they're working in, in a smaller startup potentially that's now commercial. So they kind of similarly, they have that expertise of working for a big device or big pharma, and they're bringing it into the biotech med device world, right? So the budgets are a little bit different, but the story is still the same, right? They want to get their story out there. So it's work with them means really smart and how we think about their strategy. So I always tell people, can you share your strategic business objectives? That gives me a foundation of what your vision is for your overall company. Sometimes they don't have that. If they don't have that, then we got to figure out what are your goals? Once we figure out those goals, then we can map it out. And so clients that are, I want to say that are more from the bigger companies, they know to think that way. The small companies who've never worked in a big company before, they don't know to think that way, which is fine. You got to ask them and then they have to ask the leadership. So then it's up to the leadership and board to come together to figure out what are those business imperatives that will help drive us to the next level. And so in terms of strategy, it all depends because is there an end goal to get partnered? Is there an end goal to never get partnered, but be the bigger player in the industry than anyone else? It depends what that is. And if they can share that with me, I could say, okay, based on that strategy, you want to get acquired. This is what you need to get there to build your thought leadership. Okay. Now I understand. And I've been fortunate enough to work with like over five I think, companies that got acquired from big pharma or devices that I was part of that storyline. And it wasn't by accident. They wanted to elevate their story because they knew they were going to get acquired. Right. So that's something that is, I think, important that people don't realize that, again, you think you're great, but unless someone like a third party, like the media, and we know the media is very, very important. It's important those stories come out about who you are and your data and continue the momentum because 
you don't want to just do one and done. You want to have the consistent beat that keeps drumming, right? Like a drum, right? And I tell people all the time, if you do that one hit wonder, that's fine, but then you go away. And the beauty of media, you know, trade media is just as important as national, even more, that much more important because they are the, the folks that are the clinicians that read those publications. And a lot of times they can drive coverage for the national trade, national media outlets. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel like I keep on saying that, but it's because this is such a new realm to me. It's something that I haven't worked in. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I get to sit down with an expert in this. And if you don't mind giving advice to me and other young entrepreneurs who are in the life sciences space, where do you see those missed opportunities to develop your thought leadership or to really set yourself up as a thought leader in the space? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely encouraged for anything is planning, right? So you want to plan your content calendar six months to a year if you can, if not minimum three months. So your story is in sync with everything you're doing. And so from the marketing PR perspective, I tell people that whether it's a social strategy or a PR communication strategy is to call those key, key touch points. And then where it makes sense, megaphone those touch points that are really critical, whether you're presenting as a podium presentation at a big medical meeting and you're one of many, but you're like the best, your data is like so much better than anyone else's. Okay, what does that look like? How are you going to get that story out there to all your key audiences in a strategic way? That's really important. And so mapping out that master calendar and content calendar is critical to your success. If you don't do that, you're kind of just flying flying by, right? Without a, without a map. It's like getting on an airplane, but you don't know where your destination is. And so that's critical. I tell people all the time, planning is really important. And as an entrepreneur, we get busy. We all get busy. So you're like, okay, I put myself on the back burner, but you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. You sh- you're just as important as your clients. And so as you're building your thought leadership as an expert, what are you doing in your air to get better, right? So for me, it's the nonprofits, groups, or organizations that I belong to that help give me that foundation even more so to give him back. And if something comes out of it, that's great. If not, I have some awesome friendships that I've never had before. And so um, I know a lot of people do that. Yes, it's important for relationships and business development, but it's also about relationship building too. It feels like you can liken it to, you can liken your story to the plane and you're trying to build the plane as you fly and and just like, oh, I forgot, I need to post about that. Or, oh, this is something that was really cool, but I'm so close to it that I don't think it's something that's worth sharing. So just taking a step back and looking at the journey of what your year is going to look like, what the story is, and making sure that you can see that pathway or that full plane. And so when you get to a point where maybe you are still in the weeds, but you are already prepared with, oh, but this this is a piece of the story that I need to be telling or sharing. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to be personal about it, because I was talking to someone about, do you believe that LinkedIn is personal? It is because we live and breathe our work and personal lives are blended together, whether or not we want to keep them separate in our minds. You're the same person. You don't act, you're not the different person at work that you're a different person in your person. You're who you are. And so you'll see that now LinkedIn people are being more authentic, you know, of who they are and what they've been through. And, and that's okay. Cause I think with LinkedIn and other platforms like that, we're trying to build a community and help each other up, right? And as a female entrepreneur, right, for you and me, it's important to lift each other up. I think sometimes, and I was talking to someone yesterday at Women in Bio, how sometimes for some reason we push each other down. And I'm not really sure why that happens. And I'm just, fortunate to attach my, you know, people like you and others that are lifting people up because it's, it's important. And 
you know, a year back from, you know, a year from now, or my anniversary will be in March, I'll think back of how can I help someone else for the next entrepreneur if they're ready for that journey. For me, it was circumstance and it was also timing, right? When I thought about it, but it was scary, but I knew that I had a foundation of people I could talk to and lean on to it if I needed some help. And that's really important for any entrepreneur, any person just to have that network that you've built along your journey to be there as your comfort. Yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit more. You, you said a lot of great things there, but going back to your comment about LinkedIn, do you think that is the lowest barrier to entry to just start developing your thought leadership? A hundred percent. And there's a lot more that I think all of us can do. So I have the, the business account so I can do a little bit more, but it definitely is a platform that I hear constantly. And I, I know people have grown their business, but also grown their connections along the journey. So one of my connections through... One of the another HA I worked at, I kept in touch with him. He was an entrepreneur and he has grown his following by a long because he's been sharing a lot of great content that isn't just about himself, but also giving back. And so for me, I got to start thinking about that for my strategy as New Dawn website goes up very soon, since it has softly launched, but not officially with the website. What are your thoughts on X or Twitter? It's to be determined, I think. It's one of those things that when you have a leader like that, it's still an important platform to my understanding. Talking to other journalists, they still say a lot of people still get information from there. So it's to be determined. We'll have to see and what what would watch. But it, it's gone through a roller coaster, which you never like, I can't believe that happened, but it did. So I think it's to be determined, to be determined on a platform. But it's still a value for journalists. People get their news there because they're just so fast and furious that they're just going on Twitter, what's going on, and news breaks there a lot. So I would not sh- completely shut them down. They're still an important um, resource for people to tune into. Do you see anything else up and coming? People are exploring, I think, Instagram a lot more. I'm not yet on it officially. It's one of those things that I'm trying to master the platforms like Facebook for my personal and then LinkedIn for my professional. Those two, to add others, it's a lot to add. It's a different type of content. So I think if you're going to enter Instagram, TikTok, what have you, just understand that it's not just like one and done. You want to consistently be on there and be helpful to your audience, whoever you're attracting. Yeah, dive into that a little bit more for me. When you're talking about developing your content and how much you want to share of your personal self or your personal life or more just you-centric versus speaking to clients or elevating your speaking to a client's needs or elevating your network or contractors or mentees? I think it depends on how personal you want to get. I mean, people are human and I shared my story that I was part of a layoff. It's happened across my entire industry and it was hard. Do I say that or do I just say, oh, I just started out of the blue. That's the truth. I'm not lying, (laughs) you know? So, and I think it's actually good because then people know that it's okay to talk about that. It's It's not a shame in being part of a layoff in a reorg. That's okay. At first, you're like, holy smokes. But you, you make the best of the situation and you take it and you learn from the situation and make it better and make it your own. And so I made it my own. Yes, I launched the agency New Dawn in March, but it was something I've been thinking about since the senior in, in college. So it wasn't like something like completely off the radar. It's just like you said earlier, I think in our discussion was like, what trumped you for that? But everything that led me up to this now happened and for a reason. So I do believe in reasons why things happen. And I appreciate the leaders that have taught me certain things, whether for professional and personal level that have made me who I am today, that have been that those important foundation rocks that continue to lift me up. What advice do you have for someone who was in that position? It feels like you, you felt it and you 
you could see all of the facets of being part of the layoff, but you kind of hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, it, it was scary. And I think one of my former clients, actually, he was part of a layoff. And so we were just exchanging stories. He was at a big medical device company and he told me and he's like, Dawn, just it's okay. It's life. And I said to him, like, wow, like, and then again, with those special nuggets you take from those conversations you have. And I'm so thankful. And I tell him, like, to, to this day, I should reach out to him and thank him and say, thank you so much for that advice, because it, it was what I needed to hear to lift my spirits because you're deflated somewhat. Right. But you got to, you know, get up and keep going. And I, I really the journey I've been on, it's been amazing. And I look forward to doing some other great things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Don, this has been wonderful. Thank you for all the value that you brought to our listeners. I think that our audience is really going going to be the med tech innovators and the business men and women who are part of a firm that is lean and mean and just trying to keep things going to potentially fall into into some of this content that provides them like that expertise of being able to say, okay, this is when I should engage a PR firm, or this is what I need to be thinking about before I have the means to do that. I think it's just so valuable to be able to share your story and share all of your expertise. So thanks for joining us today. Karen, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the time today.